Kaysan, and hello. Welcome to Nordic Insights, where I introduce you to high-achieving Nordics and Nordic-inspired people with niche expertise in business, lifestyle, education, innovation, tech, travel, and more. I'm your host, Satu Raunola, a Finn passionate about all things Nordic, as well as yoga, running, sustainability, well-being, and great coffee. Listen in for some tips on Nordic approaches to a happier and more holistic business and personal life. Join me to explore Nordic common sense and trends in this complex world. This podcast is delivered to you every Wednesday. If you are interested in startups and or dogs, you will find today's podcast insightful. My guest is Tommy Nordström, who is ex-semi-professional floorball player, not football, from Finland, who after a very successful corporate career in Europe, finds himself in Australia running a very successful startup for dog lovers called Pupsy. Tommy shares his insights and learnings about running a startup and how he has used his experience from his corporate career and his Finnish Sisu to go through his ups and downs. Here is Tommy. Moi Tommy, tervetuloa. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Satu. Now, you are obviously a big dog person. Have you always been a dog lover? Yeah, it's it really started when I was young um, and my parents decided to, uh, after my sister, who is five years younger than I am, and she was basically whining and whining and whining about she wanted to have a dog for years and years and years, and then my parents eventually gave in. Uh, so I would have been probably around 10 at the time when we got our... First dog, Golden Retriever, uh, and since then uh, I've had dogs in my life pretty much throughout. Um, and at the moment we have, so I've had Golden Retrievers, I've had Poodles, and now we have a mix of the two, uh, which is called a Groodle, which is half Golden Retriever and <laughs> okay. half Standard Poodle. So yeah, big big dog okay. person uh, throughout my entire life. But where did you got the idea for your startup, Pupsy? You obviously, I think you you said that you got it when you moved to Australia and started thinking about the services for dog lovers. Yeah, so it, it kind of came from two different angles. One was uh, coming from Finland and, and, you know, pretty much all of Europe is very dog friendly, way more than, you know, Australia, for example. So dogs are allowed in pubs and bars and coffee shops and you can even buy a, a train ticket for your dog and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And you came to Australia and almost, you know, you felt like discriminated that you couldn't go anywhere with your dog. And then finally, when we got our dog um, about four years ago, it was very real for us saying, oh, now we have a dog, so where can we actually go? And it was very difficult for us to find places you can go because we both have me and my wife both have a very active social life and uh, and obviously we wanted to incorporate our dog as as a member of a new member of the family into our social life so it was important for us to figure out where we can go and only way to find out was to read thousands of blogs and different things and call places and you know can we please bring our dog and you almost felt like a second great citizen and uh, And that's when we then decided, like, look, you know, maybe we should talk to other dog owners as well, you know, how do they cope with this problem? And 
we quickly found out that everybody was having exactly the same problem. So therefore, we decided that, well, maybe there's something we could do about this. And it really started as a just a free service for dog owners. So we started writing blogs about pubs you can go with your dog in Sydney and where are the beaches you can go with your dogs and, and so on. And from there on, it has grown quite a bit. So we are now Australia-wide. We write travel guides for dog owners. We are just about to launch a booking platform for dog owners. So when they can go on holidays, they can book dog-friendly accommodation through us and many other things. So um, that's kind of how it all started. Yeah, that's really a great uh, niche that you have found. So what's it like to start a startup business? It's very um, daunting, but at the same time, it's a lot of fun. Like I always keep on saying everybody that the best part of it is that you make all the decisions. So whether you make good decisions, bad decisions, you only need to look into the mirror and you know whose fault it is or who gets the credit. So uh, that's what I enjoy the most of, of running a startup, that you are involved in everything. And you need to learn a lot because... You don't, in our case, we didn't go and find millions of dollars of investors' money to, to start it, but we are still actually self-funded. So for us, it means you got to be across everything. You need to be involved in everything. You need to learn how to do things, uh, which, you know, I'm a, I have a marketing background and, um, and you need to learn about how do you actually improve uh, user usability of your website and stuff like that so it's it's been a lot of fun and um, I think it's it, you do need certain kind of character to, to jump into it uh, for me it was I've been for years and years almost two decades in the corporate world and I was at the end of that journey and I decided I don't want to to go from one meeting to another, to another, to another, just to have an outcome that we have to have another meeting. And, you know, I just realized I want to have more fast-paced uh, working environment and more flexible and go and try things and and be innovative and creative and then fail on things and learn faster from them and just move on. Um, so I can highly recommend uh, everybody who has that entrepreneurial blood in them to go and give it a go uh, it's it's a lot of fun uh, but what you do need is a lot of resilience as well as willingness to try things and be aware that you will fail in many things you know but then you just need to learn from your mistakes and, and move on as, as fast as you can starting a business you need to have that risk-taking character within you it's it's not for everyone and also with my experience there's so many things that y you need to learn that you can't expect at all and uh, there's lots of surprises but so what keeps you going when things are really really tough so one thing for me is that I feel very passionate about what we are doing so I feel passionate about dogs I feel passionate about travel Uh, and and that's that's the key driver for me. You need to really enjoy the startup environment you are you're building yourself. The second thing is that you need to celebrate even smallest wins you get in the early days of your startup. So it's going to be tough, but you. Somebody once told me just set one KPI for yourself at the time. Just say, is it 
you need more traffic on your Facebook site, you need to sell more of that item or you need to grow your membership or whatever it is. Just set one target, focus fully on that and do everything you want or need uh, towards that one goal. And once you see progress, celebrate, you know, give yourself a tap on the shoulder and say, oh, well done, you know, I didn't realize that we can actually do this. That's great. And then you move on. So it's it's those small things that because you know that you did everything to go towards or to get to that goal. Whereas in a corporate environment, you might work in a company that has 50,000 employees. So it's difficult sometimes to figure out what was my contribution for us as a corporate, you know, to reach certain targets. But when you are in a startup world, especially in the beginning, you basically, you know, you and your team will reads all of them and, and your contribution is way bigger than it might be in, in certain uh, corporate um, projects or, or, or goals. And do you think that being a Finn and being a Nordic, that there are some specific characteristics that pushes you forward? I, I think so. Uh, and, you know, Finland is well known for for the the startup scenes and a lot of uh, businesses you know have started from basically from the garage and has become massive like angry birds is a great example which started with two guys and i think their uncle gave them 20,000 euros in the beginning and that's all the money they had and see where angry birds is now so um, I, I think there is this spirit of trying to build something and find the problems and then solve the problems and keeping it very simple. Uh, I, I think that's a typical uh, character, particularly people from Finland, but I think across Scandinavia that you want to be very straightforward in your approach. You don't want to try to look into every possible angle of every possible thing that might go wrong or whatever, but you focus on finding a solution for your biggest problem. And and I think that that is a very uh, valuable asset to have when you go into a startup world because you can find problems everywhere, but you have to be very good at prioritizing on where to focus and and, and stick to your plans and, and, and so on. And I think there is that is one big element. Uh, the second big element, which there's even a word which I think only... F- exist in Finnish which is sisu which I suppose means stamina or whatever the the best way of describing that is 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 basically being super resilient uh, whatever happens whatever comes your way you'll walk through it you you'll find a way to survive and I think that is another massive element that you need in the startup world you can't just give in you know first time it seems that it's too big to to handle because nothing really is. You you can always find your way around it. Yeah, I saw by that in Sisu. I, I don't think without Sisu I would have uh, not survived many things in my life. So there are also lots of different types of stages in startup. What kind of stages have you gone through and where are you now? There are, I suppose there are a couple of different ways the startups can go. It really depends on what you're doing and are you aiming to be the unicorn or are you aiming to uh, build a you know successful lifestyle, whatever it might be. But they all start from 
finding the real problem that needs to be answered. And that is too often, too often people think that I need to figure out something that nobody has ever thought of. You know what? I don't think that exists. I mean, somebody has always thought of something that you think that you created. But the key thing is, how do you do it better? How do you do it faster? How do you make it more convenient? How do you make it cheaper? How do you actually add value to the consumer? Once you start looking into all of those things and put them together in a better or faster or easier or cheaper way than anybody else has done, that's when you start really progressing on um, in your startup journey. So yes, you need the idea, but then you do need the business model to come through pretty quickly on how do you actually make it you know, financially viable. So you go through a lot of stages in the beginning in brainstorming and trying to figure out what's the best way. Uh, at one point in time, unless you happen to be Richard Branson or somebody like that, you will run out of money, of your own money. And, and you need money to scale your business to become uh, bigger and, and, and move forward. And that's where you really need to start thinking the right way of finding the right investors to come to your startup. They can be, you know, big uh, venture capitalist companies or it can be angel investors or whatever suits best for you. But uh, I think... Again, somebody gave me advice a long time ago saying, try to find smart money to invest in your company. And by that they mean find people who are willing to invest in you and in your startup, but who can also bring connections, brain power, new kind of thinking. You know, you need a lot of that and, and, and partnerships with uh, other types of uh, startups or corporations and, and so on. So that's quite a big part of the journey. And then obviously, once you do have investors on board, the journey changes again quite dramatically because you are actually now reporting to somebody. And, and a lot of startups uh, or founders have... Um, have said this you know many times in around the world that then the biggest challenge actually is how do you still keep your startup going as a startup rather than you becoming just a reporting engine to people who has invested in your company and how do you keep that culture when you start growing and becoming a, a bigger organization so our stage at the moment we're still lucky we can be still self-funded and we have grown into different areas we have pivoted a few times so our uh, startup didn't really start from where we ended up being but we needed to learn very quickly on hold on a minute that doesn't look like it's working so we need to go to another direction and then just change the, the journey and, um, and and now we are in a pretty happy space so now once we have the booking platform up and running I think that's going to be a a good success which will then lead us to a next step which will be we want to scale the business and that's when we need to find the right investors on board. So what do you think is is the key thing in the startup business model? What is the key thing? For me it is it needs to be scalable. It needs to be so you know if you need to spend half a day to make hundred dollars you can't scale that. Because, you know, even if you spent the whole year on doing that, you, you still not be able to, to scale your business. So you need to find a model that you can expand easily and you can automate a lot of it as well as part of uh, as, as, as you go. 
but also um, you can look into different different industries or different areas. Technology is one. Obviously, everybody always says that you know tech startups are the great examples on how you can scale and you can get to millions of users and so on. But you can have startups in in many different areas, such as you know I don't know clothing or furniture or whatever, where you actually sell physical goods. You just do it better or differently than anybody else. And there you need to think of how do you scale your access to bigger audiences, which is your consumers eventually. So, and that comes through the partnerships and and many other things. But scalability for me is the biggest thing in your business model. You have to be figuring out how do you make money, but also how can you then scale it up. So, in what states did you started making money? It took us quite a bit of time uh, because, like I mentioned, so in the beginning we were more thinking of being becoming sort of a more like a Facebook type of thing for dogs and dog owners. So where dogs would become friends. So when you go to the dog park, you would check in your dog that he's going to the dog park tomorrow morning, and then all your dog's friends would know what time you're going and where, and then everybody would gather together at the same time. That was kind of you know where we started, which we then realized very quickly that there's no money in there, and also it's just not going to be scalable. So that was our first step when we started to pivot, and we went more, you could say, TripAdvisor type of uh, uh, journey with our our startup, where we actually provide information for people where they can go, and then they can businesses can list their businesses on our website and stuff like that and so it took us probably a year uh, roughly when we started making some revenue and and to be honest we are still in the early days of of making of fine-tuning our revenue model so some of the parts are working quite well but the others are in the early stages so I've always been a big believer on figuring out what is the best way of doing things rather than what's the fastest way of doing things and sometimes, you know, it might be, oh, we're not making any money, move on, go to the next step, or not big enough, let's go to the next step. But you might, if you move too fast, you might not think thoroughly through on every single element that is that is required there. And if you think about your corporate career, what things do you think are now beneficial for you that comes from your experience running corporate businesses for so many years? There's definitely a lot, a lot of things that have helped me in my startup world as well. So I would say there's a lot of principles, like a lot of processes and stuff like that in the corporate world, which I'm sure have been put in place in the beginning with the right reasons and, you know, with the right aims and whatever, but they might have become a little bit too much full of red tape and bureaucracy in the in the end. But, you know, the way of thinking on who needs to be involved how do you in, go through the whole you know life cycle of a product from idea to development to launching to nurturing and and so on plus also i was very lucky that during my career i worked in various different departments of the of the business so i was in marketing but i also worked in research i worked in supply chain even in it uh, production so if you have an opportunity to work in different you know, functions, that that all brings your knowledge together quite nicely. So you understand that you can't just focus on marketing without 
you know, looking into what will be the impact on supply chain be on, on your activities and other way around. So how do you fine tune the entire business rather than one part of it? But also, you know, the other great thing about my corporate career was that I got to work in many different countries. So, you know, I think I probably went for work to almost every single country in Europe uh, and beyond. So you get to work with a lot of different people from different backgrounds, from different cultures, from different ages, from, you know, very uh, multicultural environment, which helps you to understand also your consumers going forward because your consumers, particularly in Australia, which is very multicultural, uh, your consumers are very different. So it helps you to understand uh, where they are coming from and, and, you know, that we are all very different. But once, again, you know, five brains together thinks much better than, than any one of them. And, and that's, again, you know, when we started building and getting people to work in our startup, we want to figure out who are, how do we keep it diverse? Because tendency sometimes is that you hire people who are like you, but that's a wrong answer because you end up becoming way too narrow-minded in that sense. So whether it's partnerships or employees or whoever they are, people you work with, I always want to find very diverse teams to work in or work with. You know, if you think about your corporate career and working in different countries and with different very diverse audience, what things you think that Nordic way of thinking is different than in many places like in, in Europe or globally? One thing definitely is what would be the right word, almost like blunt, bluntness, that you are not afraid to say what you think. You know, if this is what I think, this is what I'm going to say. You know, maybe you don't like it or maybe you have a different perspective. That's okay. But I'm not going to hold back about my opinions and my views. Finns are known not to say that much. But when we say something, it normally has some sort of a meaning. And and that's that was sometimes quite interesting. First times when I was like in my mid-20s and I started to go to meetings with people from France and Italy and, you know, Southern Europe. And normally the meetings were three hours long and I might have said two things, you know, in the entire meeting. And it wasn't because I wasn't engaged or didn't want to be part of it. But uh, as a Finn, I just thought, a lot of people are already talking. We don't necessarily need another voice in that discussion unless there is something that I really felt that I can contribute or I thought that I don't agree with that topic at all. So I think that bluntness and straightforward way of saying things is definitely one. I think also from the early ages, from like when we go to school, there's this, there's the freedom that is being given to even us as kids saying, look, you know, this is your, this is your homework. You, you do it, you figure out how to do it. And, you know, you need to figure out how do you get to school in the morning? And there were no drop-offs and whatever. I lived five kilometers away from my school and my mom gave me a bicycle and said, off you go. And that's when I was like six, seven years old. And as you know, Finland can get pretty cold. So minus 30, degrees and you have to cycle five kilometers to school and you'll just figure it out so i think that whole sort of that whole freedom that comes with that responsibility that is given to you helps you also later in life because you take 
accountability for your actions. Yeah, I totally uh, agree. I lived in the countryside and I used to ski to school when I was a kid and, you know, just across the fields for a few case. And it was just something you did, you know, it didn't matter what the weather was like. So it definitely builds resilience in you. And also, of course, that time you didn't need to worry about and he, you were safe and secure and do things independently and, and you had the freedom and trust to do it. So, yeah, I totally agree that. Hi, all. Hope you are enjoying this episode. I would like to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Vloggy. Vloggy is video production for dummies like myself. Vloggy enables you to create a compilation from user-generated videos. You can create video stories with clips, Upload it from your community, customers or colleagues. Customize your video template once and use it endlessly across your campaigns. And best of all, it's quick, easy and very affordable. If I can do it, you can do it. Vloggy is endorsed also by pubsy.com.au. Check out vloggy.com and now back to the show. So what do you think you bring, what value and how do you serve your community at the moment? The one thing is definitely um, through the, through Pupsi, because it is helping people to find things to do with their dogs. And that very often means a big social aspect to it. Dogs brings communities together almost 40% or roughly 40% of households in Australia has at least one dog, which is a lot of people who are living with dogs in uh, in Australia. And, you know, we help them to find places where they can go and they can meet other dog owners and, and do things together and, and so on. And, you know, we actually, through our dog, we've met probably at least 100 people in our community in eastern suburbs in Sydney that we would have not met otherwise if we didn't have a dog. So dogs is a big aspect, but also um, so I play um, indoor hockey. And what I do, it's basically on volunteering basis a lot in, uh, in Australia. So I put quite a bit of effort on building training schedules for juniors and, and help and assist in, in many other ways where uh, and you know, we don't get paid for it or anything, it's all volunteered. But it's a great aspect to see when kids come to try something new they haven't tried and they actually enjoy it, they like it, the parents are there on the sidelines and so on. So there's a lot of different things which are tiny little small things you can do, but they bring communities to together very strongly. And, you know, I have a big background on team sports, so that's one other aspect that I think that will help you in life in the future because you learn how to work together from the young age with the group of, you know, other people. And, and they all are from different backgrounds and they're different and, you know, everybody is different levels and whatever, but you need to figure out how you operate as a team. And I think if you learn that when you are six, seven, eight years old, that will benefit you when you are in your uh, working environment later on. Oh, indoor hockey. I thought you used to be a soccer player. Indoor hockey. I did play a little bit soccer as well, but uh, indoor hockey, which is ah, okay. floorball, okay. is the official word in English, um, which is very small in this part of the world, but uh, massive in Scandinavia. In, it was invented in Sweden in the late 70s, 
and then it expanded there. It's almost being played in every single country in the world. It's very small in many places, but big in Scandinavia and Europe. Yeah, so I played that sort of semi-professionally until my mid-late 20s. And then since then, it's been a great hobby. Uh, it was one of the the first things that I did when I moved to Australia. I figured out, is there a floorball team somewhere around? Not because I wanted to go and play and win or whatever, but because of the social aspect it brings. Because when I moved to Australia, I didn't know too many people here. And it was a great way for me to get involved in communities and start building your social network by, by getting involved. So you think having a diverse team and you know working with diverse people is very important for your obviously for your business and also your for your volunteer work. So how do you inspire others? Biggest inspiration for me personally has been um, freedom to do things. So when people show a clear trust and believe in you and they say go ahead and do it if you fail that's all right it doesn't matter we learn and you know when when people take more of a coaching and mentoring approach rather than managing management approach that's what has always inspired me on go and give it the best shot i'll help you come and ask questions if you need but otherwise you know go and figure it out and and i've been lucky that i've been given those opportunities in the corporate corporate world as well uh, and that's a big source for inspiration for me. The other element, of course, is then, you know, when you read and learn from super inspirational leaders who have basically challenged the norm, have gone completely against where everybody else is going. You know, sometimes you do that and you fail miserably, but sometimes you actually get to a completely different places where you would have not received, uh, gotten otherwise. And uh, it's this... Is this courage to be able to challenge the status quo? You know, you can go and do whatever you want with your life. Nobody else is in charge but you. So uh, when people who you work with are full of that energy that, you know, shows respect, trust and, uh, and, and courage, that's what inspires me. And therefore, that's how I also try to inspire others through the similar kind of behaviors yeah totally agree with that now what's next for Pupsi and what's next um your years are, are going to be you what's your vision and what are your, what are your goals so we we want to become the almost a, like a single platform in australia for dog owners whatever they need to, to come and find it from Pupsi. So whether you want to go on holiday and you want to book your holiday accommodation, come to us, we can help. Do you need to find places you can go with your dog? Come and we can help you. Do you want to find the best Australian-made products for your dogs? Come to Pupsi, we can help you. Like this holistic approach on whatever you need for your dog, we are here to, to help you on doing this. So we want to do Australia first. We want to do it properly in Australia before we start thinking on how do we go and you know scale this for uh, for another like international uh, the market. But that is the long term vision that we uh, we see that we can go to places like US and many places in Europe because um, dogs are everywhere around the world. Dogs are becoming way more equal members of the family that they have ever been before 
you know, we, we spend, as we as dog owners, we spend more money on our dogs than we have ever spent. You know, my dog's haircut is definitely more expensive than mine. Uh, his, food is, <laughs> his food is probably almost the same price, you know, like, and, and we don't necessarily challenge these things in the same way that we used to 20 years ago. Dog was a dog and they were lucky if they were allowed inside. And now, you know, when you start going to the talk to the people who live in the cities it's still different when you go to the regional areas but you talk to people in inner cities that you know what do you think of your dog being outside by himself overnight and people start rolling their eyes and say, what you know that would never happen my dog was would panic and uh, and so on um, so i think we do have a big dream that we can become a massive you know global globally help dog owners everywhere in the world to spend more time with their dogs so you have a lot of companies you know that do pet sitting and dog walking and whatever we try to do the opposite we try to help you to spend more time with your dog rather than you know giving your dog to somebody else to uh, to look after That sounds fascinating and it's been absolutely delightful to talk to you, Tommy, and I don't have any doubt that your uh, Pupsy business will be very successful. So thanks very much. Great to have you as a guest. Thanks, Hatu. My pleasure. So if you are a dog lover, visit pupsy.com.au. You can find nearly 5,000 dog-friendly places all over Australia across multiple categories such as pubs, wineries, campgrounds, beaches, cafes, bars and holiday homes. So Pupsy is like a smorgasbord for dog lovers. Visit pupsy.com.au. You can also find them in Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. And if you enjoyed this podcast, I would appreciate if you would leave a quick rating and review. You can also find Nordic Insights on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for listening. Voi hyvin, hade sopra, take care.